0: Welcome to the More Than Fitness Podcast.
1: Hello, hello. Matt, what is up, man? Hey, dude, can you hear me? Can you see me? I can. I can hear and see you perfectly. What about uh, me? You
0: are perfect. I like the, uh, the the very warm background you have behind you.
1: Yeah, I think it's just this light and the lamp that I have are both kind of a orange tint to them. So on the, on the lampshade. So it gives it as if I meant this to happen, but exactly, I could assure you, I I have no style (laughs) or fashion sense whatsoever. It's as if you uh, do this for a living, huh? You're, you're, you're ready to go. Uh, Well, (laughs) I don't know about that, but I will give my best to try and talk like I do.
0: There you go. Always with the humility, Danny. Um, Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to, to, I guess, "Quote unquote," formally meet you in in this one, and uh, I'm also excited to to give you the opportunity since you've been doing podcasting for for quite some time to to let you do the the talking in this one, and and I can ask the questions. Is that uh, does that sound good?
1: Well, you should be careful what you wish for, because I can certainly ramble on when questions are thrown out. So your job might be to tell me to shut up more than uh, to tell me to keep talking.
0: No, nah, man, I think it'll go. I think it'll go smoothly for sure. Um, but just for, for for people to to get context and things who who may uh, not know who you are, I think the easiest thing to do is whenever you meet somebody out and about and they ask you, what do you do?
1: what uh, What do you typically tell them? oh wow i suppose that depends on on who asks and (laughs) i sometimes it can be bad if you mention that you're involved in nutrition so sometimes i'll just say i i have a company or i run a, a media content a content creator as they say now uh but i think for if i was to give the best explanation that maybe give people some context as to who i am i have a company called sigma nutrition which has i suppose a couple of aspects to it but but primarily produces educational content around evidence-based nutrition. Primarily that's done through the podcast Sigma Nutrition Radio, but I'm also very lucky to also do a lot of kind of guest lectures, presentations at conferences, seminars that we organize independently and so on. We have some written content as well as other projects that are kind of running here in the background. So a lot of content creation that basically is the translation of nutritional science into usable, actionable content by mainly, I would say, practitioners. So other nutritionists, dietitians, uh, fitness professionals, medical professionals tend to make up a a fairly large chunk of our audience. We also have an online coaching service. So there's a number of coaches and a dietitian that work for Sigma Nutrition now, and they handle all our one-to-one clients, which is a variety of people focused on nutrition for health all the way through to a significant number of athletes we work with a lot of power right now we've done a lot of work with combat sport athletes but like i said we have a wide variety of people just interested in their health uh, i think as of right now we've all the way from Uh, 18-year-olds competing in powerlifting up to, I think our oldest client is 77 and focusing on being healthier. So it's quite the gamma and I'm very thankful for all the coaches and the work they do. But my work specifically uh, day-to-day is just around content creation and general overseeing of, uh, of our work. So yeah, that's a kind of general intro to what I do without being too super specific I guess.
0: That's that's perfect as you guys can tell Danny is uh legit. He's been he's been doing some some really cool things for the industry and I think that's one of the uh biggest reasons I wanted to have you on. It's just cuz you've you've talked to so many uh amazing people in the field and you've also been kind of walking the walk yourself. So yeah, thank you thank you for coming on and and uh yeah, I'm excited to to kind of jump into it real quick just for my own curiosity and and just for maybe people listening, the accent, of course. You're you're so I'm I'm based out of New York City right now. So it sounds like you've got a little bit of a, a different accent. So where are you based out of? And if you don't mind sharing, how how old are you, Danny?
1: I am thirty-two years old. Uh, I am based in Ireland. So right now I live in Limerick, Ireland, although I've been around various cities here. Um, I am Irish, although the accent isn't maybe the typical Irish accent. I was actually born in London in the, in the UK. We grew up there until I was maybe 10 years old. Uh, both my parents are Irish and they'd always planned to move back to Ireland. They moved back when I was 10. So I, from 10 years old, I grew up here um, and have Basically, always just been an Irish national, and they only ever got me an Irish passport. And uh, interesting as a side bit, last year for the first time, I got myself a British passport. Just Ooh. when I knew uh, Brexit was coming, and I knew I was eligible, <laughs> so I was like, "I better get one of these <laughs> yeah. uh, before Europe uh, implodes." So, right? <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. So uh, I am Irish, living in Ireland. Dude, um, I have to,
0: I have to ask Conor, Conor McGregor. What are uh, you? You watching the fights tonight? I'm assuming.
1: I I am going to be watching uh, the fights this weekend. I think if I were to give a prediction, I I mean it's going to be a a great fight, and it it could go a variety of different ways. But if I was forced to give one, I think I'll be going for McGregor by TKO early in the third round. There you go. That's as specific as I can make it.
0: I love it. I'm a I'm actually a big Conor McGregor fan. I'm I I've you know uh, I've gone in the podcasting field with Joe Rogan and I'm a big stand-up comic fan and just by osmosis from listening to his stuff for so long, you just kind of fall into the, 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 the grips of the UFC and, and learning about it. And then I found Connor and just, of course was immediately, I think you either love him or hate him whenever you first hear him. And for me, I was just like, fuck yeah, this dude's amazing. Um, I've got actually back here, there's some proper 12 whiskey. I'm also, I was born and raised in Kentucky. So bourbon and whiskey is kind of a big thing. Uh, so, so an avid drinker of that. And I had to had to support Connor. But yeah, I think I'll be watching the fights with my girlfriend as well. I'm
1: excited. Awesome. Yeah, uh, you guys have a, a a proper watchable time. I think it's going to be 5 a.m. Irish oh, yeah. time when it's on. So it's everything gets skewed for the American audience, which is understandable. But yeah, I, I've been lucky to have some pretty good memories in my life of like going to McGregor events. So I've been lucky wow. enough to get to a number of his fights in, in Vegas and, wow. and New York. So I was at the, the Chad Mendez fight when he first won the featherweight interim belt I was at the Aldo fight, the first night Diaz fight. Wow. Um, And then I got to New York for the Eddie Alvarez fight where he became the champ champ. So like they were I all like change. really fun times. I look back on in, in life that were built around the hype that comes with uh, a McGregor event. So yeah, some, some good memories.
0: Oh man, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm super stoked. I feel like he never, never really disappoints, but yeah, I'm sure that that, uh, just real quick and we don't have to touch on it for too long, but I'm just curious because I've never been to a, 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 UFC fight or anything like that. I've been to like a local tough man competition where just locals come in a boxing ring and just, you know, wail at each other. But how is the experience whenever you're there, especially like at the, the first Diaz fight or something, what was the energy
1: like? Man, I tell you probably my favorite one might've been the the Chad Mendes fight because all of them since were, were really cool. And I've been to like non-McGregor UFC events. So I was at UFC 200, which was supposed to be headlined by John Jones, Daniel Cormier, but that got canceled on fight week. Uh, so in the end, it was Amanda Nunes and Misha Tate who headlined that. Um, and that's still really well produced and a great crowd energy and so on. But there's something about like the madness and the hype that I think, especially the first few McGregor fights, brought and the chad mendes one was the first time you had this huge number of irish that went over uh, to vegas um and so insane amount there and so even for things like the weigh-ins which typically didn't used to draw massive crowds or people would go along but just to kind of watch out of interest but it wasn't an atmosphere and this ended up being like a they Ends up having to like set limits on people who were coming in. You come was in, this, it was just, was like, this, all Irish. Was this with,
0: the one where he was like this, like the, the big picture of him, like behind him, and he's like this, I think, on the just standing up there on the platform, and then you see everybody?
1: Yeah, there's some iconic photos from that, and you <gasps> see like flags everywhere, and like Ireland colored. So, 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 bo- so, Ireland, really, it, it, it,
0: it goes that deep, right? It, it goes it, the, the Irish, uh, support.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think, um, I think the MGM weren't ready for kind of the madness that ensued because it just didn't typically happen at UFC events. So I remember that afterwards there was just chaos of like people just running and through the casino and jumping around and we're kind of weird in Ireland. that like we're doing that. It's all very like playful to us and like no one is kind of really like very small numbers might be, but no one is in there to like cause any vandalism or harm. It's like jumping around, seeing, and, like, people doing stuff. But, just rowdy, just rowdy. Yeah, like, the security didn't know what was going on, so <laughs> it might have seemed more concerning to them, and you just, like, these thousands of people, like, running through the casino and jumping about. Uh, so then they were a bit tighter for the next one. <laughs> they were better set up for the Aldo fight. But, yeah, it was, it was just fun, fun times, really fun atmosphere, Um, especially because there was a kind of a novelty to it back then. At the, the Mendes fight was, it was the first time he fought for for a belt in the UFC. Um and yeah, there was also that kind of anxiety of was he actually gonna win or not. And there was just so much hype around. Yeah, it was it was really cool.
0: Man, that's exciting. I would love to hopefully hopefully things uh tend to, to open up and coronavirus, uh, you know, moves away and things like that. And we can get back to having these, these big massive events and stuff. Cause being, I, I just moved to New York city like six months ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to get the effects of living in New York city where I can go to the big events and and networking and, and enjoy all that. So yeah, I'm excited for that too. Yeah.
1: Well, that's definitely one I'd, I'd put on the list. If you ever get a chance to get to a UFC event, especially if you're in New York and they put one on in a uh, Madison square garden again, like you can't ask for a more kind of iconic (laughs) place than that. So
0: have to have to man. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm stoked. Have you, uh, this could be a nice little pivot onto the, the, the podcast, right? So have you, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you, you've, you've, have you interviewed a few UFC fighters or no,
1: no, I've talked to people who, or or
0: I'm I'm sorry, who work like with their team and things.
1: Yeah. There's been quite a a few that I've kind of, that I've got to know over time and, and thankfully talk to. So for example, I've um, Reed Real is head of nutrition at the UFC Performance Institute that they have in Shanghai right now. Um, he was probably the first academic to specifically look at some of the weight cutting strategies used in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and he's published on that. Um, I've talked to Corey Peacock, who's uh, worked with quite a lot of UFC athletes. Um, I've been able to have quite a lot of good private conversations with Jordy Sullivan, who's based out in Australia. He's currently the dietitian that works with Israel Adesanya, Alexander Volkanovsky, um, and a, a ton of the, just all, all the elite guys that are down that area of the world. Um, and so it's been really cool to be able to see insights from people who are not only informed by what, what, what science we have, but probably more so being able to use these things in practice and see anecdotally what's happening. Because a lot of the research we have now uh, is is not kind of relevant to specifically some of the strategies that have to be used um, for a variety of different reasons. Um, and so there, there has to be a point where you take the underpinnings of physiology and the evidence we have, but also use that to make a best guess of what white cutting strategy might look like, as opposed to having a clear consensus of what does the best process be. So hearing what they do with athletes and how different athletes respond and so on is, is really cool and informative.
0: Yeah, man. How, where did, I actually didn't have this down in the questions that I sent over to you, but I think it's, it's worth asking. Where did this curiosity or thirst for not only just like knowledge, but like the very cutting edge. So like whenever I go to Sigma N- nutrition radio, like to listen to the podcast, it's to find out something very specific about maybe a topic I'm, I'm wanting to learn more about. So you get very much in, in the nitty gritty, uh, with things. So where did this type of, uh, thirst for specific knowledge
1: come from? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, as I tend to point with most things, I think there's probably just a degree of luck and randomness that that just tends to be what my attention is drawn to. Like when I started learning about this stuff, there was an element of being interested in those details that I was finding out and just being generally interested in nutritional science. Um, And so there's probably a lot of concepts that we cover in a level of detail that is largely irrelevant to the average person looking to make healthy food choices, right? I could probably cover that in a short space of time. And then the most of the rest of it is about behavior change, but there's all these other cool little details related to nutritional science that are, that are fascinating. And I, I don't know what it is about that, but for me, it's, it's definitely been the thing that's allowed me to have, um, some degree of like a specific type of audience and a relatively well-educated audience. When it comes to nutrition already, I would say most are an intermediate to advanced level of nutritional knowledge as it is. And that's kind of been a product of both who has enjoyed the podcast, but also the things that we choose to talk about in that for the average person looking to make better, healthy eating decisions, most of the stuff that's discussed either isn't relevant or would just not make any sense to them. Um, so it kind of self selects for that type of audience. And then therefore that in turn allows me to talk about these in-depth details about nutrition science. And, and so, so yeah, it's basically just been a function of what I'm interested in. And then when you start talking about that stuff, of course, with the size of the world, there's going to bound to be some other people who have similar interests and just once they come across that, then you have something that serves them. Um, but yeah apart from that i I don't know specifically why um apart from just naturally inclined to like digging into more detailed things than surface level things
0: yeah that makes sense that makes sense um one of the questions that i i asked steve hall from revive stronger whenever he was on the podcast in the past and uh also miguel uh or blackett i don't know exactly how you say his last name um he's coming on the podcast later and i'm gonna ask him the same question but who Like, how do you determine who's worth listening to? Do you have some type of like filter or uh, do you go through this kind of like your own internal skepticism? How do you, over the years and and based off of everybody that you've interviewed, how do you determine like, okay, I think this person, uh, I should at least give them the the shot to, to inside your own head?
1: Yeah, I don't know if there's like a set kind of process ahead of time. But like I think you alluded to, it, it kind of, it refines itself over time, the more and more you expose yourself to better ideas and and how people think. And I think critical thinking in general, you start to apply across every domain of life. Obviously, it just helps more in nutrition that I've got to a point where at least hopefully in some things I can understand if something is clearly pseudoscience or nonsense, but in terms of working out, okay, is this person um, a trustworthy source of information? I think the first kind of filter we have to apply is maybe not jumping to conclusions based on, do we get a sense that we like this person? Sure, Because that's the easy one to go to. And there's lots of people that are very either charismatic or they resonate with our, our personality. And because I've felt this before with certain people who I want to like, but <laughs> yeah. their their information may just not be evidence based, or vice versa. There may be someone that is not as uh, that doesn't resonate with my personally as much as that person, but actually says more accurate things. So I think it's being able to realize to critically think through anything or to scientifically think through something. We have to be able to bypass the cognitive traps of being a human, and the whole reason we have the scientific method is to kind of sidestep the fallacies that a human falls into, of basing decisions based on emotion, based on irrationality, and kind of things that confirm our own biases. So once someone has has made a claim or made a point, we're naturally going to want to jump to decide if that's something we want to take on board or not. And trying to hold back from making that decision immediately is probably the only thing I could advise, like give ourselves enough space to investigate. Okay. Is this thing actually true? Or if what this person is claiming is accurate, therefore that should mean X, Y, and Z. And is, is that the case and really just have a process of, of investigating that, um, with nutrition, like I said, it's once you have a, a. Enough requisite knowledge and skills to be able to kind of fact check someone, that becomes a lot easier. I find it difficult to give recommendations to someone else because they're, if they just have a passing interest in nutrition and they come across someone on, say, Joe Rogan's podcast, and I just picked that because it's the biggest podcast in the world and it's an easy example that people can think about, then I have complete sympathy with someone of how they could hear someone on that and think, yeah, this makes sense because those people who do put out ideas that are kind of pseudoscientific, but that are very compelling, they have to be compelling that people listen to. They have to have spun a very good narrative. They have to sound intelligent. They have to be able to at least discuss science in some mm-hmm. sort of yeah. way. And so to someone who is not spending time looking at nutritional science all the time, they feel like, well, how can I go against what this person says? Or this sounds like it should be true. So I, I just I just don't know what the solution is there. Um, I think generally though, and we cut, may get into this, there's probably a point of the reason why we should trust consensus within an entire field is because it it might not be hundred percent accurate, but it inoculates us most of the time that if the vast majority of people who are nutrition researchers, registered dietitians, medical professionals, if the vast majority are of a certain consensus position, then is that more likely or less likely to be accurate than this one person that claims to be going against the grain, right? And yeah, historically, sometimes this person goes with a new theory that's right. But most of the time, that's just not the case. And I think that's why for the average person, having that kind of um, putting faith in some sort of consensus within science can be valuable. So I don't know if any of that answers the actual question, but that's just how I think through that idea.
0: It's perfect. There's there's two things there. Um, what we were leading into, I want to come back to in a second, but it's something you said earlier about uh, kind of the, the Dunning-Kruger effect that we can have in other fields that we're not as aware of, just like the, the average listener to Joe Rogan can't dispel the bullshit from not bullshit right and i think that i i noticed this whenever i was recently watching um uh, the uh the, the social media the Dilemma, social dilemma
1: dilemma. Mm -hmm. on
0: Netflix. I was, I was thinking I was like watching it and watching through these certain things. And then there's also this, uh, uh, social scientist that I, that I follow. And he kind of debunked a few things that they said. And I was like, this is exactly the same thing as like the game changers documentary where so many people outside of the field of nutrition can watch it and be like, Oh, this is, this is it. Like, this is the truth. Just like me watching social dilemma. I'm like, Oh, this is everything. This is all I need to know. This is one, you know, everything. And, and what you don't realize is that you can only have one side of the story. Have you ever had that moment with, with things like that?
1: Oh yeah. All the time. Cause it tends to be things that I'm very interested in, but just don't have expertise in. So one recent one that I think will resonate with most people is, interestingly, and this probably happens for a lot of people who are based outside the US, we have an quite a big passing interest in US politics, uh, because it <laughs> tends to be interesting by nature. And also it has ramifications for the rest of the world, more so than uh, Americans worrying about Irish politics. I don't think <laughs> they can name one Irish politician. Not right? familiar. But, not familiar. But US politics is fascinating to me. And, uh, but I do know that of course, as with anyone, I have a political bias in terms of my general philosophy, not, not to any party. I don't care about parties um, or government structures per se, but a, a political ideology, I think is better than one or the other. Um, but then in terms of making like strong conclusions, I then have to remind myself. Well, hold on, like I'm, I don't have a degree in political science. I don't spend all my day looking through economics or politics or so on. So I may have a sense of you know, what, like this political ideology or this political policy, to me might seem like a no-brainer, but there are almost certainly millions of Americans that maybe don't agree with that position who have looked deeper into it and, and maybe are economists and, and political scientists and just have a different view that I'm not aware of. Um, and it's very hard to to kind of stop at that point because you you I, I feel kind of a connectedness to <laughs> yeah, the yeah. conclusion I've made. So, and I, I think, and, and politics is a good example because everyone kind of feels it that way. And it's why it's one of those classic examples of why arguments get so heated because everyone feels like they know what the answer should be. Um, and yeah, I've thrown myself sometimes you, I might be right, but am I really as certain as my brain tells me I am sometimes probably not, you know? Right. Uh, so yeah, that that's one that comes to mind.
0: Yeah. How do you with, uh, yeah, there's so many different ways that I could take that, but I think what, what sticks out is how do you not, uh, and maybe this has evolved over time, but do you have any recommendations or advice on how to kind of not let your ego get in the way? How do you, how do you not let your own convictions and, and identities and things like that get in the way of finding out, or at least getting closer to the truth?
1: Mm. Uh, It's probably a few things that I can think of. One is trying to, because with, with any type of idea or from any area, there's probably going to be some degree of signal and some degree of noise. One of them is not 100% signal, the other one, 100% noise. There's probably a bit in both. And so to find where the the signal is in each perspective, you have to be exposed to those perspectives and trying to, well, consume content from a different uh, perspective. What are the best arguments the opposing side can put forward? I think that's a very useful exercise, trying to read through that um, and trying to think through from, yeah, the most charitable position of the other side or the best argument or the best thinkers on an opposing idea as opposed to the ones making really weak ideas right so um if I, if i gave an example in 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 politics uh one that might not kind of land for for people outside the uk but if i were to kind of pick apart some of the ideologies of uh say the conservative party who's currently in power and i, I think there's a lot wrong with them, but I use like straw man arguments of crazy nonsense Boris Johnson has done. That might not be the best argument that someone of a conservative persuasion in the UK could put forward. Someone else might be able to bet- make a better argument for a certain policy position. So maybe I should go and find what that is and understand why a lot of people seem to think that's a good idea. Um, similar one that might be a- apply for in the US. Um, rather than go along with like uh, memes or one-liners about different policy positions, uh, or th- like this kind of rhetoric of "oh, anyone who believes this is an idiot," right? So let's take um, uh, let's take more controversial stuff. So like Medicare in um, medical care in in the U.S. seems to be a big policy one where there's a lot of debate, right? Let's get into take it. Say. <laughs> And without me making any conclusions on this but just an sure. example someone could come along and say oh any of these people that are against medicare for all are just all idiots right is that really likely no right because a lot of people seem to have a position that they don't aren't advocating for that even though for maybe a lot of people in europe it seems like well this seems like a no-brainer right who doesn't want universal health care so instead of making my conclusion immediately that if you don't want universal health care therefore you're just wrong instead of thinking well what are the best arguments they have instead of the worst ones who 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 has really thought about this and can articulate to me uh, an idea against it that it doesn't mean i have to adopt it it doesn't mean that one's correct but at least i'm searching for some of the the best versions of a counter argument rather than just presuming that what i or someone else believes is, is going to be a good idea so that's easier said than done, right? And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I think that is in some way uh, the key of like, is there a good argument to be made? And as you go through an investigation, you may find actually I looked really, really hard and there's actually not a good argument for X or there's not a good argument for Y. And therefore you can maybe feel a bit more confident in your, in your position because you actually looked as opposed to presuming you were right. If, 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 if that's making any sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think what you also have to do is a little bit of internal self-reflection and and figure out is this about me find like getting closer to the real truth, or is this me hoping I'm correct about something because it says something about myself and it confirms something inside about me, right?
1: Yes, I, I do think that's a large part of it, and it that's very insightful. I think it goes undetected that if we are seen to be the person that advocates for X, then that tells people something about us. Um, and yeah, I think that's a, a very dangerous trap to fall into um, because you, you often see people who are very vocal about what the right thing to do is. But if you look at their actions of on the ground, things have done to advance something in their own community or a certain cause or whatever, it just doesn't exist. So that would indicate well are they actually making change or, or are they they just want to be seen as someone that's on the right side of an issue
0: yeah virtue um, signaling basically
1: yes yeah and that's a huge problem and mm-hmm. i think we probably all need to recognize that there's uh, we can get rewarded by feeling good when people positively support us or tell us that we're a good person or we're on the right side of something um and it's very complex i mean i mean we took the example of politics probably the most complex <laughs> Thing in, <laughs> right. in this dynamic, right? Of how should we organize society? So there's probably easier examples, but I think it's a good one because, because there is that diversity of opinion, um, and we tend to be very strong in what we believe is, is true.
0: Yeah. Did you ever have a moment? in the past. I'll give you my quick example. And I've told this on the podcast before, but I had a uh, mind blown moment whenever I was first getting into fitness. And and I was lucky to find someone like Lane Norton. Actually, I found his natural bodybuilding section in muscular development magazines, and it was called no bullshit bodybuilding. And I thought it was awesome because this was like evidence-based stuff. He was drug free. It was all the things that I wanted to do. Uh, So I I really saw him as an authority figure. Uh, And then, uh, maybe a year or so later, I found a guy by the name of John Kiefer, and he was the one who founded car backloading. And car backloading was this uh, supposed to be the holy grail of of dieting and have all of the science behind it. I bought his book. Um, it had hundreds of studies in the in the back of it. And I was like, this is it. like i'm I've I figured it out. like i've I've got the Holy Grail of dieting. This guy knows all this stuff. Uh, and then one day, I noticed on Twitter, I think uh, that Lane Norton, Lane Norton had called out Kiefer or said that he was full of shit or something, right? And so in that moment, I had this 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 epiphany moment where I was like, okay, who's who's right here? Like, is it like I I both I trust both Lane and I trust this Kiefer guy, but one of them have to be full of shit because because Lane doesn't agree with Kiefer. So did you have a moment similar to that ever where it just kind of you were like? What do I do? Who do I believe?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. I, I definitely, early on, before I had um, gone through the degree of education and nutrition that I had, but was still interested in reading about it, was definitely more persuaded by a lot of the arguments that would come from like the low carb community, from the paleo community. Um, you mentioned that like Kiefer, he was probably part of that because of the carb backloading thing. So there was a lot of those type of ideas that made a lot of intuitive sense. They were articulated by people who are objectively smart people, like just an articulate, and they just sounded appealing. And then over time, as I tried to kind of broaden and learn from different people, I remember seeing that okay here's this thing talking about like evidence-based practice which wasn't really a phrase that was around that often back then it was used in evidence-based medicine but no one was talking about being an evidence-based practice nutritionist apart from maybe a small handful of people and this idea that there seemed to be at complete odds with all this rhetoric around paleo diets or gluten-free diets or low carb diets and so then you start looking through it, and there's these people who seem to be again able to make a really strong case with evidence as to why this is, is not accurate. Um, and then once you start questioning it, then that's kind of the path to you you start finding stuff out. And when you're presented with that dilemma that you had of people are here on both sides have these studies, then you then that leads you to that bigger question of well, what does it really mean? Like how do we objectively work things out in science if you can point to a study for anything, right? It's a kind of ongoing joke. There's a science in it. There's a study in in anything in nutrition that will point to an answer. And this is where you start thinking about the concept of uh, what what does an overall body of literature say? Why do we have consensus positions? Why do we look at a broad range uh, of studies? And then you start thinking about what evidence-based practice really means and you get into all these ideas. And the further and further you get into that, I think that's when you that light bulb comes on. it's like, ah, I can see what these other people are doing, right? You, you've come across things like cherry pricking. It's like, ah, now I actually see examples of it. Now that I've learned what it is, and now I look back and say, like, oh yeah, like that was kind of really poorly chosen kind of references, or you can make a point using anything. Um, so to me, that was it, that it was much more low carb kind of paleo I was very sympathetic towards early on. And then um, started getting exposed to various different people's ideas. I, I know I did a, a, a short mentorship under martin mcdonald who's a nutritionist based in the uk um around that time i think um alan aragon did a seminar in, in the uk that I was, I was at and so you're getting into this area which now people would see as was the evidence-based community but just these perspectives of how to evaluate research um and so that was coming across people like that and ideas like that was probably the the turning point for me that Kind of mirrors your experience.
0: Yeah, interesting. No, I really like that. And so, I want to get your take real quick, since we we were talking about this this consensual um, uh, field of evidence and and people who have a consensus towards one possible solution, right? Uh, what do you think about just like conspiracy theorists or conspiracy theory or just people who mistrust things like the, the CDC or, or government officials and say they're, they're funded by this. They, they have this just so they, they make such bold claims with conviction. And I'm not saying that I know the answer either. Um, but i just i also don't think that i have enough knowledge to be like yes this entire organization is built on fraud and they don't care about the general public they actually have this this uh you know ulterior motive so what do you think about conspiracy theorists and that type of stuff
1: yeah this is a super fascinating area and i think given everything that's happened this year it's something i've thought more about and have read some books about and recently i had to got to interview the author of one of those books um a scientist uh, an irish guy david robert grimes who wrote an unbelievable book called the irrational ape and he's actually published some peer review research on conspiracy theorists but th- this area is fascinating because there's almost like a different flavor of conspiracy theory and i can s- there there's obviously there's something about them that have to be appealing to people otherwise it just wouldn't be a thing right, right. so there's an appealing part of it for for many people and the interesting thing that some of the, the research highlights is that it just being a conspiracy is enough for it to be appealing. So the actual facts of a conspiracy conspiracy may not matter as much as the fact that it just is conspiratorial in nature.
0: Oh. That's
1: why you get people who believe in one conspiracy tend to believe in multiple others, right? Because it's just the fact that you're believing in them. Also, if you're willing to accept a conspiracy theory that has zero evidence or is, let's say, anti-government or anti-organizational or anti-science or or whatever it is, then you're going to be much more willing to say, well, if they got this wrong, then they must have these other things wrong as well, right? If the government lied to us about X, well, then they probably lied to us about what NASA does. And if if NASA is supposedly a scientific organization and they lied, well then why wouldn't the NIH do the same, right? And if they did that, then why would these people not lie about uh, vaccines and so on? So you can make those connections. Um, uh, David Robert Grimes talks about this idea of uh, a web of belief that once you start pulling like the thread of, of one conspiracy, and you buy into it, that impacts how you believe about others. And some examples I just gave there, if you now believe, um, so you start innocently and say, people who go in and start learning about like a low carb diet, but the person they learn about it from is spinning them this rhetoric of, oh yeah, you've been lied to for all these years about calories and whole grains and so on. They just want big pharma wants to keep you fat and sick. And that's why they're not telling people about this type of diet. Right? So now if you start to believe that it started out as something about nutrition, but now you said, well, yeah, if there is this thing where they're trying to keep us all sick and, and it's kind of run by industry and pharma and, therefore, all these scientific guidelines about dietary patterns is all nonsense, then they'd surely be doing it about everything else. So now you're much more likely to believe a conspiracy that's going to make us sick about vaccinations, for example. Um, and so you see these kind of webs and how they're, they're connected. Uh, and I believe one of the examples uh, that they might actually have even referenced in The Social Dilemma, now that you bring it up, is around people who join certain facebook groups like a i think the example they gave was a facebook group for mothers of, of young children that are interested in feeding them organic foods for example and everything is about organic produce and products and foods in order to keep your child healthy. And you tend to have a lot of pseudoscience and wellness quackery in there. But one of the things that often gets recommended in the sidebar on Facebook because of the crossover between that and an anti-vaccination group is I recommended to join this anti-vax
0: group. Oh, right.
1: And so you said, it's an easy click for someone to join. And once they're in there, now there's this easy rabbit hole to go down. And so none of that was intentional on their behalf. They started with good intention. I want my family to be healthy. I want to go and learn about how I can keep my child safe and I'm being fed all this information. And now that I see that all this kind of naturalistic thing of like natural is better, anything man-made is bad in relation to food, or don't listen to these government guidelines, now it's much more easy to accept these other ones. So it becomes very complex. I can see why people do it. And particularly when people don't understand, I think, science and the scientific method, generally, it's very easy to to buy into these uh, these narratives a bit more. Um, so yeah, uh, there, there's there's so much to it that it's, we could get into. It's so
0: it's so layered, right? I, I know it is. It, 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 it could be you know a three hour podcast in itself. But yeah, you're right. I think that they just. Uh, they get down into these echo chambers and then they have other people who are spouting all this stuff and then you have the algorithm of social media which is further uh furthering their their confirmation bias and then they also want a lot of this stuff to be true probably deep down and it kind of just makes like whenever somebody thinks of organic food or like a synthetic food, right? For example, like a man-made food that you just kind of think in your head, like organic nature, it's probably better than, than, than man-made. And so you just make these, these conclusions and leaps and bounds. And then, uh, you know, eventually you've got an entire, uh, identity built on sand basically.
1: Yes. Yeah. And and there's also, so in terms of people who push the conspiracies in the first place, you have some people who are like, just believe stuff because either someone else told them, or maybe they just aren't really into conspiracies and they've tricked themselves into believing it. Then there's others who purposely push, push disinformation, uh, because it will cause harm. Um, but people who are pushing these conspiracies have like, they have a really good way of doing it in that if you embed enough kind of half truths, it gives people when they discover that part of a more reinforcement that it's true. And indeed you can look at, um, there's downsides to every organization, right? And there, there's there's bad science that's being done in different places. There's flaws that certain big organizations have made. Uh, the government certainly isn't trustworthy with a lot of things and so on. So it's easy for people to point to that and say, oh yeah, well, that's actually accurate, right? Or the, the information that WHO gave on this day isn't 100% true. So maybe they're lying about this whole thing. And so there's enough half-truths embedded in these different things that in fact, yeah, you can point to different stuff. Um, And this kind of gets this this bigger picture of of what I was discussing with science. And I've had a good conversation with a close friend of mine about this a number of times when people say, oh, well, you can't trust trust science because look, there was this study or that got retracted or this scientist said this and then he was disgraced, right? Or it predicted this. It's like, yeah, they're all individual scientists, or that's a body uh, of science, or that's our scientific study. The scientific method of how we work out stuff is separate from that. It's not related to any human. And when errors are made in, in science, the scientific method corrects it over time. So sure, there could be a poor study done, or a scientific institution could say something that's, not 100 correct but that gets corrected over time and that's not undermining the endeavor of science
0: i think it's strengthening um, it actually it's it's you exactly. want you it's, want them to do that you want them to change their
1: mind it, it's a whole point of science that it's a it's self-correcting <laughs> machinery um and it, it's just interesting yet yeah, that people are willing to accept evidence or a lack of evidence or willing to set a conclusion based on no real good evidence um, or even fabricated evidence. And it goes back to what we said at the start. If you aren't trained in thinking critically and thinking scientifically, which are tools to kind of bypass your human cognitive biases, then you are more susceptible to the, the fallacies of being stronger in your conclusions than you should be to thinking emotionally as opposed to objectively and rationally. And so that combination is, is really tricky because now if something emotively like gets you going and then you believe that and then you are more likely to believe you know everything then that's a, a real bad recipe as opposed to realizing you, you kind of like you don't know what you don't know type thing. Um, but it's really difficult to even to be able to start having a conversation to change that, I think.
0: And I couldn't imagine, and I mean, you interviewed these people. I couldn't imagine how frustrating it would be for some of these virologists and the people who have put in hours and hours and sacrificed so much of their life to come up with things like vaccines or like do the research on things like COVID uh, or whatever, and just immediately be dismissed or like they, they have bad intentions or, or whatever. I think it's just uh, I, I think you don't understand that unless you you have the grasp on what it means to be a true expert in a field like you do. And you've talked with these people and like you, you've you talked about so much, like the more it, it's the cliche is true. The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Right. And so, yeah, I do. I do just find it frustrating. I, I see, I see the I, I, I feel for the person who doesn't know any better, but I also feel for the, 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 the actual expert as well.
1: Oh yeah. And there's so much of that people um, kind of trying to discredit like world leading virologists and public health epidemiologists. And like you say, having zero clue about the degree of training that goes into getting into one of those positions. Um, like these are not just some, like e- even getting like a, a PhD in any of these areas yeah. would be an infinitely more training than most of these people commenting on it, but then to reach the top of any of these fields (laughs) and like be conveying the consensus between an expert group is for a reason. Um, But if you, if you don't trust science, then it doesn't matter, right? If you don't value logic, it doesn't matter. If, if reason is not how you make your decisions, then someone can't reason with you. Um, And that's the problem. If someone only makes decisions based on emotion and what they want to believe, then you can't talk rationally to them because they don't value it.
0: Yeah. Right. Who was it was that Sam Harris that said something like that? Like what yeah. what what logical what logical answer could you give to someone who doesn't value logic in the first place?
1: Yeah. I, I always remember that. It's like you you can't use logic with someone who doesn't value logic. What do you do? You can't reason with someone who doesn't value reason. So yeah it's a, it's an interesting one.
0: It is. It is. Um, that's a, yeah, that's a conversation for another day, but I'm glad we, we touched on that cause that's, that's, that's very, it is very interesting. I think what I want to do since we just have a few more minutes and I want to respect your time and things I want to, we, cause we've been very heady and conceptual and things like that. Um, but as far as like you talk to these people, you learn, you, you have this thirst for knowledge and curiosity and things. How do you balance between, learning versus doing? How do you, how do you, you know, cause I love learning and reading and things like that as well. If I could just sit around and just learn new things all day, I think that that would be, I'd be all set, but how do you kind of then get into the action taking part of things? Do you have any advice for people there?
1: Mm. Yeah. I don't know if I'm the best person to ask. I, I think understanding why you're undertaking any endeavor is always good. Because there may be situations where you purely want to learn something just for learning's sake. And so therefore you don't, in that circumstance, you don't want to start feeling anxious about not implementing it enough or doing enough or this isn't having a measurable impact on my life. Maybe just learning about that thing is enough, right? But for other things, you're learning them for a specific reason. You want to be able to do something with that. And therefore, probably the best way to do it is okay, what do I want to get out of it? how do i measure if i'm getting something out of it and then can i check in on on, on if that's going ahead right so you want like you might just learn random trivia just because it's fun, right? Yeah. And you might never need to check if if you're making progress on your trivia knowledge. Yeah. But you might want to learn to play the guitar because you actually want to play in front of people. So in that sense, yeah, you're probably wasting your time if you're sp- learning all about music theory but not doing anything with it or not being able to implement it. So knowing what it is you want to get out of it and how do I break that into like measurable goals. So if we're applying that to things like nutrition or, or fitness in this context, sometimes if it's just for general reading, but you like it, you might have a book that you just read through and don't make any notes or anything. It's just, it's just fun. But if it's learning typically with nonfiction books, if you're reading it just to, to learn something from it, then you'd want to be able to like, okay, what is the goal of reading this book? Okay. I want to get certain ideas from it. once I have those ideas and maybe I've made highlights on them or written them down how does this actually change what I'm doing? So if it's to inform your practice as a dietitian or a coach, am I using this? Is there a place to insert this and how can I start doing that now um, as opposed to just reading about things? So I don't know if, if there's any kind of concrete steps I would say apart from if you know ahead of time what the goal of learning something is that will make the difference. And it's okay to learn things just because you like learning, but there's other things you're actually trying to develop a skill. And anytime you're trying to develop a skill, it's probably good to have a way to measure your progression of that skill. Um, and so if you know that ahead of time, that's one way to ensure you're actually doing it.
0: Yeah, I like it. Right. It's, it's more so one is a tool or a utility. And then the other one is just the, for the sake of doing it The you know, the, the process is the reward in itself. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think so. Um, real quick, I have I have two questions, and then I think we can wrap it up. Uh, based off of that, based off of everything that we've just talked about, uh, what I've been wanting to start doing at the end of my podcast is just like what should people do next based off of what we've talked about? I think critical thinking and just thinking more clearly in general, uh, uh what, what would you recommend people start doing or, or do, do more of maybe that's, that's helped you or that you've learned from others on how to become a better thinker?
1: Yeah, I actually think there's probably some good, easy, free courses that are around the internet typically produced by different universities or lecturers on actual, um, critical thinking, argumentation, things like that that come under different headings, but basically just talking through what are logical fallacies that we can fall for? What is deductive reasoning and inductive reasoning? um, How do we make a, a solid argument that is actually valid, right? It's based on these certain premises, are these true, et cetera. Like just understanding those terms and you can start to see how arguments are presented and if a claim is actually valid or not. So there's probably, people can just Google search for um, reasoning or logic uh, and, and a free easy course would be a good place to start. And it just run you through those terms um, in terms of like kind of popular books. There's some really good ones that, that I've enjoyed reading. I think uh, Daniel Kahneman's thinking fast and slow. I knew it. I knew that's one what you were going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the best books I, I think that's ever done a job of trying to translate research in any area into like a, a popular book people can read, um, but it's just a re- really phenomenal book um, from a phenomenal researcher. Um, I would say The ra- Irrational Ape by David Robert Grimes that I referenced earlier is another good one on uh, thinking that I've liked as well. Um, and I think, yeah, the combination of those and learning about argumentation, logical f- fallacies, etc., would be a good place to kind of sharpen your critical thinking skills uh, and then to kind of touch on what we said about the difference between learning and doing after going in and and learning about that stuff see then in whatever field you're interested in can you start trying to use that and spot it so if you're interested in fitness and training when you start learning about some of these ideas then go and look at let's say how maybe like lane and puts out it's him, his information versus someone you know yeah. is not very reputable and just look at the way they're making their claims and it'll kind of tie back into these logical fallacies that are made with pseudoscience versus a real well-built argument when something is scientific. So that would be make the connection between what you've learned and how you actually go and practice your consumption of fitness or nutrition information going forward, I guess. Mm,
0: I love it. It's beautiful. Uh, I have one last question, but before I get to the qu- the question is going to be a fun one. Before I get to that, where can people find out more about you and uh, your work?
1: Um, pretty much everything should be on sigmanutrition.com. S-I-G-M-A nutrition.com. So S-I-G-M-A nutrition.com. Uh, that's the podcast is Sigma Nutrition Radio on every podcast app and Spotify. Um, on our website, we have a series of written Sigma statements, which are long form articles essentially on different topics in nutrition science. And then on social media, Instagram, my handle is Danny Lennon underscore Sigma. And on Twitter, it's nutrition, Danny, and any of those places, I'm happy to take questions or feedback.
0: Perfect. Perfect. The work is amazing, by the way, the calories in calories out article, I'm still making my way through it and things. It's, it's all, Uh, if you guys want if you guys do want to learn more, especially if you are a a coach or a health professional in the field, um, definitely check out, check out your old stuff. Um, But last question, if you could do anything else in, in the world, uh, and this could be, you could be, six foot 10 tall, you know, like Anthony Davis, shout out to him. By the way, I saw the picture. He's from the <laughs> university, of, university of Kentucky. That's where I went to school. So the Kentucky wildcats. Awesome. Um, so yeah, if you could have any skills, if you could have any physical features, etc., etc., what other career choice do you think you would choose besides the one
1: you're in today? Oh, definitely a musician, probably like a singer songwriter type dude. What kind of music? Um, I, I think probably kind of like a maybe indie folk, but okay. enough kind of enough that it's it's mainstream enough that I'm popular enough, but it's also cool. It's not just pop music.
0: I love it. I love it. It's kind of like the that niche fame. It's kind of like a small group of just fame of of that unique sound.
1: Yeah, maybe like a tier under Ed Sheeran type fame. Maybe just a bit below that, but like enough that. People are like, yeah, this dude is legit.
0: I can't wait to buy your CD one day. It's going to happen later on.
1: (laughs) Um, We just need that magic wand to give me musical talent and a (laughs) a singing voice, and then we'll be all good.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Danny, thank you so much for for doing this. Hopefully we can uh, do it again soon. And guys, definitely uh, check him out for sure. Awesome. Thanks, man. And that is that, my friends. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the More Than Fitness podcast. And please, if you could help me out a little bit here and leave a rate and review in iTunes and also... Take a screenshot and post it up on your IG story. Tag me at MattMcCloud6. I'd love to share it. I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast and also so that we can share the word with other people. I would love to build up this community, build up this tribe of people that we have like you and I uh, and get the word out there. Uh, Also, if you want more free content, you can check the links in the description. I have my free four-week workout plan, The Ultimate Physique Development. And also, if you want to work with me online, one-on-one for personal coaching, you can check the link in the description as well. Uh, And anything else you need, please send me an email, send me a DM. I would love to hear from you. Again, thank you so much for listening.